0: You have been listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day Good morning. Hint to the guys, tomorrow's Valentine's Day. Okay? So I just made you accountable. <laughs> And that means you better think and do something about it. And all the ladies said, amen. A lot of times in February, we have taken the occasion of February because we do think about love, we do think about Valentine's, and we have focused on relationships as far as marital relationships and dating and things like that. What we decided to do this year was focused on what should be the main relationship, and that is for us to have a love relationship with God Himself. I I prayed it earlier, as I was praying earlier in the service, that we need to recognize God sent the greatest expression of love, the greatest valentine that you and I could ever receive when He sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins. We need to recognize that. We need to understand how much He loves us and how much He cares for us. And we need to respond to Him according to that. <clears throat> this is kind of the, uh, the verse for our series. We've not expounded on it uh, a lot and just really bringing it up today to show you again why we're talking about loving God. But Jesus said this one time, a uh, man came up and questioned Him. And if you look at these next verses on the, on the screen. Uh, A man came up and questioned him. He heard a debate taking place with Jesus and and, uh, some other men. And the man thought Jesus really answered well. So he thought he was going to come up and ask him what the most important commandment was. So he did that. And this is Jesus' response. The most important one, (coughs) answer Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, (coughs) the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And as I read this, I mentioned last week, the little word all there through this verse. Might ought to kind of rock our world a little bit. My concern is something. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now, Jesus said that's first. Uh, A lot of times we allow other things or other people to be first. And we should love other people, but notice Jesus said, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Jesus tells us without any apology whatsoever that first place in a love relationship in our lives ought to be to put God first. First with all of our heart, all of our mind, all all of our soul, all all of our strength, the things that Jesus says there, simply telling us we ought to love God most. We ought to put God first when we think about a a love relationship with him. So how about an intimate love? Have you ever thought about loving God with, with intimacy? Because that's what we're talking about today. That's the, the title of the message. That's the topic today. For us to love God through intimacy. And you may be thinking, that seems like kind of a, a strange title. Why would we be focusing on, on a topic like that? Well, like I said a moment ago, tomorrow is Valentine's Day. So I am assuming that some of you have been taking some steps, Making some plans to be intimate with that person that you love with your with your spouse. You might have ordered some flowers. You might have called in and made some reservations at a nice restaurant. All the stuff they advertise on TV any, anymore. Maybe you've got a Vermont bear on the way or a pajama gram or, or whatever. Man, they they got so many different pajama grams anymore. They're advertising one big time this year that I'm thinking just doesn't seem to fit the holiday because it goes, you know, from foot to head with a hood on it and just covers everything. I don't know that fits Valentine's. (laughs) But maybe you've done, you know, maybe you're taking those kinds of steps because you are planning to have some intimacy with the person that you love. You see, here's my point with that. You're making plans for it to happen. Now, let me stop for a minute because some of you naive people are saying, why why would you make plans? Why can't it just be spontaneous? Why can't it be spur of the moment? Why cannot it just happen? Well, you see, all of us married people with kids are laughing at you. You know, if you're naive and you're wondering, why can't it just, you know, all of a sudden be sp- spontaneous and happen like that? That's one reason last night that, that John Hart talked about plan spontaneity, because you have to plan it sometime in, in order to make a degree of spontaneous happen. You know, when you've got kids, you have to make plans around that. You have to lock them in the room, lock the door, lock your door. You make plans to be intimate. Why don't we make plans to be intimate with God? Because you see, that's where we come up with all kinds of excuses. Guys, I doubt too many times, especially the guys here, that we have come up with an excuse why we didn't want to be intimate with our wives. Now, I don't know if I can say that about the, the wise because the, the, us men are so dumb, we tick you off a lot of times, and you've got a lot of excuses why you might not want to be intimate with us, okay? But most of the time we don't make excuses about, I don't want to be intimate with my spouse or with my family or, or with, with my friends. But we'll come up with every excuse under the sun as a why we don't have time to be intimate with God. Work too much. Schedule's too busy. You know, all kinds of reasons and excuses we'll come up with as to why not to be intimate with God. And I'm just simply pointing out to you today, if you can plan to be intimate with your spouse, you can take steps and plan to be intimate with God. The kind of plans you've been making for tomorrow because of it being Valentine's, you can take initiative and plan... To be intimate with God, plan to spend time with God. Plan to have a quiet time with God. Plan to spend time in the Word and in prayer before Him. We need to plan to have intimate times with Him. <clears throat> I, I mentioned this last week, uh, kind of a prelude to today. Uh, I've been married almost thirty-five years, and, and I'm not—you know—I'm I'm not trying to. Um, I'm not trying to make plans for tomorrow make Becky feel good (laughs) Uh, or anything like that. I'm I'm just telling you, even after 35 years, and looking back through the 35 years and and, the time we have now and hopefully the time we have in the future, just when I get a chance for us to lock the door and us be alone and be intimate with each other, after 35 years, I, I mean, that's special. I still love to be intimate with my wife. I hope you can say that. The issue is why don't we put as much focus in being intimate with God? We'll lock our doors to lock the world out. We'll pull aside to be intimate with our spouse. God is long and He... he He proved to us beyond any doubt how much He cares by putting His Son on a cross. And He is longing for us just to lock the doors and shut the world out. And for us to be intimate with Him, to spend time alone with Him. As Christians, we ought to do that. As Christians, that ought to be... Part of our makeup, part of our lives, where we just love to pull aside and shut out the world and, and spend time listening to God. I mean, when you're in an intimate moment with your, your, with your spouse, and I'm talking about things just being really still and quiet, and you've you ever, you ever been laying there and you can actually feel the heartbeat of the other person? We all be so intimate with God, we feel His heartbeat. The, the, the breath of, of, of the other person, the breath of the spouse on, on your face. We ought to be so intimate, so close with God that, that in a spiritual way we experience that. that. That God is there with us and we're there with Him and we're, and we're spending time alone with Him. So what I want us to do is just look at some special maybe lessons. I hope they'll be special this morning for us about some intimacy with God. Here's the first one. God is jealous for us. Do you understand that? Do you know the Bible actually tells us that God is jealous for us? I'm going to go to a passage in the Old Testament that starts out the, the Ten Commandments to just kind of prove that God actually is jealous. God wants intimacy with us. See, a lot of times we think of the Ten Commandments, and we always think of the Ten Commandments about being negative. Negative. But here, as God speaks, he's really saying, I I want some time with you, and and I think I've earned the right to have time with you. Look look what he told the Israelites. Look at these verses. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Out of the land of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children. For the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. He's communicating there in that verse, he's jealous over us. First thing I want you to notice about that is simply this. God has the right to be. God has the the right to be jealous for those he's delivered. Remember who he's writing to. He's writing to the children of Israel. He said, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. They were there in Egypt in slavery, underneath the the taskmaster making bricks and and underneath that type of bondage. And God cared enough for them, he sent Moses to be a deliverer, to lead them out and give them freedom. So God looks at the children of Israel and he's saying, listen, I'm God. I'm the authentic God. I'm the Lord, your God. Remember what I did for you. He tells them this before he gets to the point of saying, I'm jealous. He he says, I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now, apply that to us as believers in this day and time in which we live. God loved us so much, He sent a deliverer. Not Moses. He sent His Son. And His Son went to the cross. And His Son has delivered us from the slavery of our sin. And if God could look at the nation of Israel because he had sent Moses and through all those mighty signs and everything else, set the children of Israel free, think about all the mighty signs, all the proof that Jesus performed when he was on the earth to prove who he was. And then ultimately going to the cross to show us how much God cares, how much the Father loves us, how much the Son loves us. See, I think that gives him the right, after he put his son on a cross for you and me, that gives him the right to be jealous over us. He was jealous over a group of people, getting them out of bondage, physical bondage in Egypt. He's changed our whole eternal destiny. Not just moved us from one location to another location geographically in this earth. He's changed our geographic location for all eternity through Jesus. He's got the right. To be jealous over us. See, the, the Bible talks about us having a relationship with God as though it's a marriage relationship. Because, and it's a family relationship, God being our Father who loves us, Jesus being our bridegroom, believers are the bride. So he gives us that picture of it being a, a a marriage-type relationship between us as believers and Jesus as our bridegroom. Now, I'm not talking about the ugly side of jealousy. You understand what I'm saying? But I, I am saying this. Once you get married, don't you think you have a little bit more right to be jealous over the person you married than before you got married? I mean, after you're married, would it not kind of kick you off just a little bit and upset you to find out, well, I'm married, but my wife or my husband, they, they're going out dating somebody else this week. You, you went down to the altar and you made commitments to each other, but then right after the ceremony's over with, you know, the, the wife or the husband looks at the other one and say, well, you know, we're married now, but guess what? I, they, I've got all these other people in my life, and, and I'm going to go see them this week, and I'm going to keep seeing them. Doesn't work like that, does it? Shouldn't. I'll be honest with you, I was was jealous over Becky when we were dating. And on the other side of us being married, I'm sorry, but I I am jealous over. She's my wife. I didn't even plan on saying this. I don't know why God brings it to mind, but I feel like he brought it to mind, so I'm going to say it. I was pastoring another church completely out of this area. Wasn't in this area, so no one needs to guess where, who, or anything like that. But we had... a. Uh, an older deacon in that church that would come by and we had little ones and things like that still. And he would come by and want to stop by and you know, see Bethany was really little at the time, uh, still a baby. And uh, we lived in the parsonage and then they had a storage building that the mower stayed in and this particular deacon was also mowing uh, the church property so he would stop by. And one day he was by there and he he approached Becky in an inappropriate way. It's like he was stepping over, wanting to see Bethany, and yet he he reached his hand around behind Becky, and even she had a, a sweatshirt on, and even you know touched her on her skin. You don't you know, tell you how how I'm talking. This is a you know, tell you how far seeing and thinking about the wrong stuff can screw you up in your thinking. He went home and called her up and told her on the phone he thought she was sexy. She called me. I called him. I said, I think you need to come by. We need to talk. And I approached it in a nice way, and he was about to have a heart attack. Even me approached it in a nice way, and then he went out afterwards because he knew that I knew and kind of, you know, tried to be a booger the whole time and caused trouble behind the scenes. I told Becky, maybe I shouldn't approach it in a nice way. Since I'm ex-law enforcement, I'm going to go in the backyard, put a silhouette target up, and, you know, run a whole clip through it real quick and then say, never, ever talk to my wife like that or touch her. You say, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just jealous over her. I love her. And I'm just kind of hoping to give us a little bit of wake-up call. God, God has the right to be jealous over us. He sent his son to a cross. He, he's married us. Jesus is our bridegroom. We're his bride. And he just got the right to be jealous over us. And I, I just think we need to recognize that, that he has the right to be jealous. Second thing I want you to see is this. God wants to be number one. God wants to be number one in the lives of those who he's delivered. Because as as God writes to this group of people, the Israelites, that he brought out of bondage from Egypt, God says, you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, hey, I'm the one that delivered you. I'm the one that's the real God. I'm the one that made a show out of all the false gods that they're worshipping down in Egypt. I'm the one that went into where Pharaoh thought he was a God, and I proved to him he's not a God, and I'm the God, and I brought you out. And ought to be number one. He's saying you shall not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. God's just saying, listen, I brought you out, so I ought to be number one. I'm the one that delivered you. I want to be number one. Don't have any other gods. Don't be worshiping anything else. Don't be making any idols. Now, instantly, we, in our culture today, we feel a little bit relieved because we're thinking, okay, well, I'm not going out and I'm not, you know, taking wood and carved anything into an idol and set up in my home and I'm not bound down to it, or I don't have a golden image in my house or a silver image or whatever it might be, and, and I'm bound down to it, some type of image that I think is my god but i want to stop for a minute and remind you anything that we let take the place of god in our lives or come before god in our lives is an idol we don't have to you know he was talking about them actually making idols in that day and time but there are a lot of idols we can have in our life that can keep us from having intimacy with god some of it is we just allow ourselves to be so stinking tied up and busy with things that won't matter in eternity that we think we can't spend time with god Your favorite TV show or the TV itself spending too much time there can be an idol before you because it can rob the time that God wants in your life. It might be some hobby that's an idol. It could be a car that's an idol or a home that's an idol. There's all kinds of things. If, if, we, if you evaluate your heart right now and you would have to say, you know what, this has been more important to me than God, then you need to be aware of something, that is potentially an idol in your life. God said, I want to be number one. I know it's Valentine's tomorrow, but here's, here's, here's the deal. Listen, as much as you love your wife or your husband... God's still supposed to be number one. He's still supposed to be number one. I mean, Jesus even told us, he said, if you love your father and mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. If you love your children more than me, you're not worthy of me. The Bible tells us there's not going to be giving in marriage and things like that. The relationship you're in right now, I think you'll know as you're known over there, you'll know who your wife is, I don't know who you are, but it's not going to be the same deal. God needs to be first. As much as I love everything that Becky has ever done for me, brought wonderful children into, into our, our life, you know, birthed them into the world, been a wonderful mother and, now, you know, got a grandson now. As much as I love all that and other stuff that she's done, I'm sorry she didn't purchase my eternity. She didn't go to the cross for me. Jesus did. And I can't even let her be an idol, or she can let me be an idol, or or our children be an idol. Because God wants to be number one. He's saying, don't have any idols. Don't put anything in front of me. God wants to be number one. He he wants to be in first place. But the Bible even tells us there, uh, he had the verse up just a second ago in, in 1 John 5, 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. God is jealous for us, and he has the right to be jealous. Think about having intimacy with God. Why don't we do that? God's also really passionate about those he's delivered. Once again, remember, he's writing to people that were in bondage in Egypt. He's delivered them. The way we need to apply that to our lives is this. Jesus went to the cross, and if we have believed in Jesus, received him as our Savior through the suffering and the shed blood of Jesus on the cross, we have been delivered from our sin. God was very passionate about these people that he had delivered. I think he's still passionate about us. He says, you shall not bow down to them or worship them. That's why he said, don't make them. Don't have an idol before you. Don't bow down or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. He's letting us know he's passionate. I and you know, I told you I tried to be nice to the guy I had to talk to at this other church in another area with Becky and everything like that. It, but, but I... I had a lot of passion going on inside of me. And I was having to, you know. Because honestly, after the way it worked out like it did, I thought, hey, next time I think I'll go in the backyard, shoot the target like I said, and look and say, hey, don't mess with me. Don't mess with my wife. God has passion. He's a jealous God. Look how jealous he is. It's even communicating what he says here. He is so jealous over us and wanting to have a relationship with us. He says, punishing the children for the sin of their forefathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Now, now what that is referring to there is kind of like a a, a generational curse, okay? But it doesn't mean this. At least, I don't think it means this. I, I don't believe it means that, you know, because... Uh, I sin that my children are going to have to technically, literally pay for my sin. I do believe it means this, that the sin in my life can be attached to their life and they see the example that I've set, and it carry on and it carry on and it carry on and it carry on in a family. I come from a family that has a picture of that. Because in my dad's family, and my dad was shot arguing with someone when my dad had been drinking. He had a brother who was shot in a pool hall and killed, arguing with somebody in a fight while he was out drinking. Got an uncle who blew his arm off with a shotgun, crossing a fence, going out hunting while he had been drinking. had another uncle on that side of the family who died from alcohol abuse. And when you look on back, there's some generational stuff taking place. Some of the children of some of those other uncles that I referred to and everything, they've just followed the same path. We live in a culture that almost makes it sound like it's okay you let riots start happening out in L.A. or something like that. And the news media say, oh, yeah, but we have to understand because, listen, when I become an adult, I am making my own choices. I'm responsible for my own choices. But there is a possibility, and you need to recognize that as you parent. There's a possibility. If you pass this stuff on to your kids. You might not realize that sometimes I would be pretty passionate and get angry sometimes and regretfully. I'm afraid sometimes I pass some of that on to my kids. Not alcoholism, but some of that. It, it can be like a generational curse. But God is saying, look, I'm, I'm so passionate for you. I don't want you to be tied up in sin. I don't want you to be passing that on into your family. I want to be number one in your life. He's so passionate. He also talks about a generational blessing here. He says, but on the, on the other side of the deal, I'll show love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. We talked last week about loving God and serving Him, loving God and obeying Him. That's how we give evidence to Him that we love Him. It comes up here again. He, he said, I'm, I love generations of those that love me. How do you prove that you love him? You're keeping his commandments. The word that's used here for keep means to hedge about with thorns. It means you're really trying to protect it. You're guarding against it. It's what the thought means that's given here. You're guarding it. You're protecting it. You're attending to it. It's like you build a, a big hedge row of thorns around it so nothing can get through to it. That's what we need to view being obedient to God, God's commands, God's word ought to be so important that we hedge it into our lives and we try and keep it in our lives. And God says that will bring generational blessing. But I'm just pointing out to you, God's jealous over us. God has the right to be jealous over us because He delivered us out of our sin. God wants to be number one. That's why He said, don't make any idols. God's really, really passionate about us. And you can see that here in this picture of a generational curse or generational blessing. Some of you, as I mentioned earlier, you are planning, you put some energy, you put some thought into being intimate with someone that you love tomorrow on Valentine's Day. I'm simply saying this. We need to recognize that God is jealous over us. He has the right to be jealous. And we need to put planning and energy into spending time alone with God. He wants that. He's jealous over that. God's jealous over who we are. He's jealous over our gifts. He's jealous over our time. He's invested into our lives. And God wants us to spend time with him. Second main thing I want you to see today is this. We should desire intimacy with God. We saw clearly just a moment ago, I think God desires it with us. He's jealous over it. We ourselves as believers, those of us who know Christ as our Savior, those of us who are in a relationship with God, we ought to desire intimacy with God. You may be thinking, well, you just said something to Christians. What about me if I'm not a Christian? You ought to desire intimacy with God too, but you have to receive Christ as your Savior first to open the door for that. I want you to look at how we ought to desire intimacy with God by, by reading some verses that David writes, some words that David writes in spite of God in Psalm 63. I, I've always loved this passage of Scripture. It's home, you can almost, you know, the, the passion of, of David almost just bleeds out of these verses, it almost flows from what he's saying. David says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my body longs for you. There's some very graphic language that's taking place there. In a dry and weary land where there's no water, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the riches of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. I want us to break that down and look in that passage of Scripture and just see the passion that David's talking with here and, and and consider how we ought to maybe apply these verses to our own life and intimacy with god i'm gonna ask some questions here's question number one why why desire intimacy with god why should we desire intimacy with god i think it's pretty self-evident we ought to desire intimacy with god because he's mine Like I said a moment ago, I ought to desire intimacy with my spouse because she's mine. I ought to desire intimacy with God because he's mine. David says this, oh God, you are my God. I mean, he's getting ready to go on on like a rant. You know, for several verses saying, God, I really love you. God, I long for you. God, I'm going to lay around at night and think about you. God, I'm going to sing about you. But before he goes on this full long rant here, he's he's saying, God, you're my God. And in a real way, you and I who know God because we've received Christ as our Savior, that ought to be how we view God. He is our God. Just like you desire time with your wife or with your husband, with your spouse, we ought to desire time with God because he is mine and he's yours. And we ought to have that desire just to be intimate and spend time with Him. So what does it look like? Here's our second question. Why spend time with God? Why desire to be intimate with God? Because he, you know, if you know Him, he, He's your God. That's why. But what does it look like? What does an intimate desire for God look like? I think David gives us a pretty good picture in these verses of what an intimate desire ought to look like in our lives. Because of some of the words and the language that he used here. First of all, an intimate desire ought to look like this. It's an earnest desire. It's an earnest desire. He said, earnestly I seek you. We ought to have an earnest desire to have intimacy with God. Now, some translations translate this differently because the phrase earnestly I seek literally means to dawn. Some translations say, early will I seek you. Because here it says to dawn, to be up early at a task. It implies having an earnestness to accomplish the task by being up early or to painstakingly search for something. See, some of us in dating, you painstakingly were were trying to search for that special someone to spend your life with. You you maybe found who that person was, and you knew that's the person you wanted to to marry and spend your life with. So so maybe you you know had some some motivation, and you were you know early planning and trying to trying to make it work out. Yeah, you, know, you had this task, and with earnestness, you're trying to accomplish this task. You you want this person for yourself. You, you want to marry this person. You want to be in a in an intimate relationship with this person through through your life. Together. God wants us to feel like that about Him. We, we really, guys, we really need to reprogram our lives. And I'm saying we because I mean me. Because if we're not careful, we'll get in just a routine of getting up in the morning almost with dread because you know you've got this to do and that to do facing you during the day. Or you'll just kind of be, you know, dragging around uh, until you get to work. And then maybe you try and kick it in gear a little bit once you get to work. You know, really what we ought to have as our mindset as Christians when we wake up. There is a God in heaven who loves me. He proved it by sending his son to the cross to die for my sins. And I'm getting up early and I need to seek him. That needs to be our mindset. That will so revolutionize the way we approach life and what we do. If every morning, and you might need to get that mindset before you even step out of bed, because once you step out of bed, you know, you're probably already going in the wrong direction. Maybe as soon as you wake up in the morning, just stop and think, I've got another day, God's given it to me, God loves me, He put His Son on a cross for me, I'm going to earnestly seek Him today. I've got a task of seeking Him. I'm going to painstakingly seek him. I I think that gives us a picture of what an intimate desire for God looks like. It ought to be an earnest desire with some urgency in our life. Secondly, it ought to be this. What does having an intimate desire for God look like? Not only should it be an earnest desire, it ought to be a thirsty desire. A thirsty desire. David said this, my soul thirsts for you. My soul thirsts for you. Have you ever been really, 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 really thirsty? I know I put a lot of reallys there because see, there's degrees of thirst. I mean, you can get thirsty just you know just by not even doing anything, you know, much. <clears throat> but I was trying to think as I was preparing this message sometimes that I was really, really, really thirsty. And one time that came to mind, we were getting ready to move into the house that we live in now, and. This is kind of, this is the first home. because see, I'm, I'm a pastor and churches always used to think they were doing you a favor by putting you in a parsonage. They're really not. <laughs> because then when you get ready to retire, you don't have a home. And you're not building any equity in it. but So, so this is the first time we've been in. Eight years now, I think. But uh, this is the first time that we had actually been ours for a long time. I built a house right after we were married, and I could do what I want to with it. But when you live in a church parsonage, you kind of have to do what they tell you you can do, you know? So I was really in, enjoying really a little bit too much because everything was closed on as far as knowing, you know, we were buying the house. But we had not actually had the closing yet. And I'm out there planting shrubs and stuff. And I am started thinking, what happens if, if it was an unseen monkey, you know, in the wrench cotton comes up. And now we don't get it. I'm already out here, you know, putting plants out there. We lived in a home that Dan and Elaine had. They provided for us for a while because she was moving to her home place and, and fixing that up. And she, you know, Elaine, if you know Elaine, she's got flowers and shrubs and, you know, things like that all over the place stuff. I didn't even have any idea what it was. But I liked some of it, and Elaine told me to dig some of it up and take it with me. And I'm out there in August and I'm digging holes in the ground, and the ground was hard, so I was having a hard time even digging in the ground, and and I'm out there planting trees and shrubs and all kinds of things like that, and I am about to die. You see, I don't have the keys to the house yet, so I can't even go in and get anything to drink. And stupid me, I didn't think about how thirsty I'm going to get, so I didn't have anything there. And and my soon-to-be neighbor, one of them looked out there and saw me, and they were getting ready to go to the store, and they were kind enough to come over and want to know. And I think I must have looked like I was about to die of a heart attack or something. They wanted to know if I wanted them to get me something. Now, some people don't like gatorade some people do. I don't know i've always liked gatorade i told her to get me some gatorade and i didn't know what kind you know she'd come back with kind of depend on what was there and they she came back with some of the rain gatorade and that is a little bit cleaner taste and stuff like that than some of the others and i turned it up and i you know she brought me a big one i turned it up and man you know that was good because i was really really thirsty Here's my point, and you probably already get the point. We ought to be that thirsty for God. i will be so thirsty for Him that, just like I thought Gatorade's the only thing that's going to kind of meet my thirst that day while I'm out there, that that I understand He's the only thing that will meet the need that I have in my life. He's the only thing that's going to satisfy the thirst that my soul has. The word means to suffer thirst. You see, if you're not suffering thirst, you don't necessarily want to drink anything. But when you're suffering because you're thirsty, that motivates you to understand you have a need and you need to take a drink. God wired us like that. Can I tell you that? God made all of us to where there is a thirst inside of you, whether you understand it or not, for God. You know, I've been trying to fulfill it in other ways, but the thirst that God put inside of you that you can't satisfy any other way will only come in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you recognize you're thirsty, you're suffering thirst, so you want to take a drink and we need to take a a, a drink of God we're talking about intimacy it's almost like you've got this intimate desire you know God let me clear the air on this too God made us God knows the desires that he gave us I've got news for you the devil didn't come up with sex okay the devil didn't create us God did and God made us with the desires that he has given us. That's why he addresses it so clearly in the Bible, how to fulfill it and how not to fulfill it. God knows. it's no surprise to God. God didn't put Adam and Eve together to start creating human beings and then stand back with shock and think, I didn't know they'd want to do that. God knows exactly how he made us. And just like you may have almost like a thirst for that intimacy with, with, with your spouse, we ought to have as believers that kind of thirst for intimacy with God. How do you get that need met when you've got the thirst for intimacy with your spouse? If you're thirsty, you have to take a drink of something. You get the need met by being with your spouse. How how do you meet that thirst in your soul that you can't quite figure out? Maybe you've tried to answer it all kinds of other ways. Here's how. You take a drink of God. You just take a drink of Jesus because that's what answers that thirst. Don't put it off. Don't ignore it. Don't act like you don't need to do it. You need to do it. That's the way God built you, the way God God made you. It's also a total desire. What does a desire for intimacy with God look like? It's a total desire. David writes, my body longs for you. My body longs for you. I mean, that's kind of a way of just saying, hey, all that I am, everything that I am, God, I'm longing for you. All of who I am, all of my body, all of my thoughts, all my desires, all of me, I have a total desire for you. The word for body means flesh, a body. But it's also used in the Hebrew to refer to the sexual organ of a man. Pretty graphic, huh? Carry that illustration out, that word study, just for a moment. Just like a man may may long with, with his body to have that need fulfilled and long for his spouse in that way. We who know God ought to long for him. We, we ought to have that kind of desire for him with our, with our whole body. With that level, that degree of intimacy ought to have that kind of drive, that kind of desire to spend time with God. He said, my whole body longs for you. The word for long literally means to pine after. Now, a lot of times we use words and we come up with word studies that aren't necessarily in our dialect in the South. I think pine after is. You understand what pine after? You know, you're pining after someone. You know, it's even language used to be used years ago in the South. You, you know, this way of saying you're loving somebody, you're, you're pining after them. You're longing for them. I remember what that was like. Just in, in dating, when Becky and I were dating. One time she went off to a potential college. <clears throat> I didn't like that. She was visiting for the weekend, and I'm left behind. And she calls me while she's gone, and she tells me, well, you know, they're showing them around the campus, and then there, there's a group of guys that was going to take, you know, people out on a picnic. So she's telling me some guys are getting ready to take her and some of the other girls out on a picnic. I'm sorry, I didn't like that. I didn't say a whole lot about it, you know, at the time to her. But I get off the phone, and I, and I, I worked in a the theater while I was going to college at the time, so I was at work at the theater after I got through talking to her, and I thought, I didn't even want to work, you know? I want to say, sorry, I'm sick, I'm taking off, I've got to go up to Bavard College. <laughs> And the whole, t- and until she got back, I mean, it was just like this—this pining, this longing for her to get back. I mean, that's just one time I can give you an illustration. I've been plenty of times. Like even after we've been married, and I have to go out of town for a week to do some training or something like that. There's just this this longing. And just as you long to be with a person that you love. We ought to long to be with God because we've already been told by Jesus that's the first and greatest command, that we love Him. We ought to have that kind of desire to long after Him, a total desire. What does an intimate desire with God look like? It also, I think, looks like this. A desperate desire. A desperate desire. David just has said that he felt like he was really thirsty in a land where there was no water, now he says. In a dry, in a weary land where there's no water. David said, I've got this earnest desire for you, God. He says, like my whole body's longing for you. He said, I'm thirsty because I feel like I'm in a dry and a weary land where there's no water. And He said, I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Now, literally, most Bible scholars believe he's literally in a desert right now. In fact, most Bible scholars believe that right now he's in the desert running from Absalom, his own son, who's wanting to take the kingdom, hunt his own dad down, and kill him and take over the whole kingdom. So David is away from Jerusalem, and by being away from Jerusalem, he is away from the sanctuary. He's away from that place where he had worshipped God, where he had seen God move in such great and significant ways. So he's literally out in a desert place, and he is spiritually thirsty. He has this spiritual desire, this spiritual longing in himself to be able to leave this desert place and get back into where the sanctuary was. I want you to notice something about that. Even though, even though David is having a wilderness experience, as far as he's concerned, he's also having a worship experience. Do you see all the language that he's using? That needs to be our mindset, guys. A lot of times we get in wilderness, you know, dry areas and experience, and, and, we, and we, act, you know, we get caught up in that. David is away. His own son is trying to hunt him down, but he's still worshiping God. And we're going to see how great he worships God. Here in just a second. David turns this desert experience into a, a desperate expression for, for God. He, he said, I've seen you move. I've gazed at you. I've, I've contemplated you. I've seen all that you've done. And, and God, I'm, I'm, I'm hungry for it. I'm thirsty for it. I'm desperate for it. That's probably one of the biggest hindrances maybe we have in our spiritual lives today is that we, we lack a sense of desperation. In our small group Tuesday night, uh, Al you know, mentioned that talked some about desperation. If you're desperate enough, you'll do something about it. David is saying, I'm desperate, God. I've seen you. I've been around you. I've seen you move in great ways. And I'm off in the desert right now running for my own son who wants to kill me. But I'm still going to worship you. I am desperate for you. And that's what I think having a desire for intimacy with God looks like. We need to have a desperation for God to where nothing else is going to help except being intimate with Him and spending time with God. We've seen why from hearing this psalm, why we ought to desire intimacy with God. David said, you're my God, and that's why we ought to desire, if you know Christ as your Savior, why you ought to desire intimacy with God, because He's your God. We've seen what it looks like. What does it look like to have an intimate desire for God? It's an earnest desire, it's a thirsty desire, it's a total desire, it's, it's a desperate desire, a degree of desperation. But I want to close by getting you to see, hopefully, some benefits of being intimate with God. What are the results? What are some results of being intimate with God? And you can find them all through what David says in the rest of these verses. Result number one of being intimate with God is appreciation. Appreciation appreciation. Look what the verse says. David says, because your love is greater than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. Look at how David phrases that. Because your love is better than life, I'm going to glorify you. Have you ever had a really, really, hopefully you have? God, I hope I'm not bringing up a thought where you're thinking, no, I've not had that. Hopefully, you have. In your relationship with your spouse, you've ever really had some, you know, something just like an extra special time. And on the other side of that intimacy, how, how appreciative you might be of the fact that it happened. That's the way we ought to be with God when we spend intimate time with Him and we shut the world out and we're spending time in the Word and and, and time praying to Him and, and just being alone with God in a quiet time. We ought to come away from that with appreciation for all that God's done for us. Because His love is better than life. He says, I'm going to glorify you sometimes when you have special events, special times with your spouse, that might be how you feel. You just want to glorify your spouse somewhat. You're so appreciative of what they've done and the time that you've had together. That's how it ought to be with us and God. When we spend time with Him, it causes us to have that degree of appreciation. He said, I praise you as long as I live. In your name, I'll lift up my hands. I want to get you to do something, and I mean, I want to just show you it's not that bad, not that hard to do. Will you just raise both your hands up? Now, put them down. Now, did that hurt a lot? Some of you during the Super Bowl, sitting in your living room acting like an idiot last week were doing this. We, we ought to be so appreciative of God that we, that we show him, we tell him, we talk about it. We, I mean, if he moves on us where we raise our hands up, don't care what somebody thinks, we all raise our hands up. Just to show our appreciation for him. Number two, I've got to speed through these, I'm sorry. Number two, not only should, you, should intimacy with God result in appreciation, intimacy with God should result in satisfaction in your life satisfaction in your life. David said, my soul will be satisfied as with the riches of foods. Come back to the intimate relationship you know, that, you, that you can have with your spouse. There have been a time you just really, really had that need to be intimate with your spouse and then that need is, is met and as a result of it, you experience satisfaction. When we spend time with God, intimate time with God, our soul will be satisfied. The language David uses, with the riches of food, like you've been really, really hungry for something, and and you go and you eat it, and, and you find fulfillment because you're really hungry for it. David said... As I worship you, as I spend time with you, as I seek after you. He, he's saying my, my soul is going to be satisfied as with the riches of foods, And that will happen in our lives. If we will spend time alone with God, intimacy with God, one of the results will be satisfaction. Because we're going to have that need met in our lives. Intimacy with God results in adoration. Adoration. You ever had such a special, intimate time with your spouse that after it took place, you're almost giddy over it, and you kind of you know it's almost like you're you're, you're walking around maybe the next day, and you're almost kind of singing to yourself? Huh? You ever had that happen? I'm sorry for you if you haven't. <laughs> I mean, it's always special, but there's a time that, like you said, it's just it's just so much that it, it's almost like you. The you know the next day you're walking on clouds that kind of thing you know singing. That'll be a result of us spending time alone with God. To where we adore Him, David said, "With singing lips, my mouth will praise You." Well, to have such a satisfaction, such a need met in our lives as we are intimate with God and we spend time alone with God, that we that we just adore Him with singing lips and we give we give praise to Him. What else ought to result from us spending time, intimate time with God? How about contemplation? Intimacy with God ought to result in some contemplation or some reflection in our life. David said, on my bed, I remember you. You know, there's some things I can't remember as good as I used to because I'll, I'll be 55 this month. You know, getting old as dirt, that kind of thing. You know. No no need to buy me the over-the-hill cards. That happened at 40. You know, I'm 15 beyond that. You know what I can remember though? Some things from way back in the past. I can literally remember lying on my bed, thinking about Becky before we were married, and praying that God would let me marry her. I can remember that just like it was yesterday. Praying, thinking about her. There have been times since we have been married that I have just, you know, kind of lay there during the night and, and think about her. We ought to be so intimate with God that sometimes we, man, we just lay awake at night and we think about God. We think about what he's done. We think about Jesus shedding his blood for us. We think about the eternity that's been purchased for us. Where you just lay awake in in the watch during the night and not able to sleep whatsoever. Instead, you just lay there and you think about all that God has done. And David said this because you're my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. He's kind of saying, I'm reflecting upon all that you have done, and because of that, I I sing in the shadow of your wings right now. Now, some of you, it makes you nervous because I'm talking about singing. I understand that. There's a reason why I'm not up here earlier than I am, Okay? I was asking Wendy earlier because I got laid on my heart on the way here to see about Al doing maybe the last message in this series because we're going to have a heavy service of worship that Sunday, maybe about a 10-minute message about worship. We're going to sing a couple of songs, 10-minute message about worship, then we're actually going to do, you know, what, what the message said. We're going to worship for about 40 minutes or something. I was kidding with Wendy. I said, do you, do you mind if I get Al up on stage with you on that Sunday? And she said, as long as he's not singing or playing an instrument. so we get nervous sometimes about that but but here's the deal with can i just take away your nervousness about the thought of singing under his wings and being intimate with god and spending time with him you want to know what the word sing means here in the hebrew it literally means to creak honest that's what the word means in the hebrew guess what every one of us can creak can't we Every one of us can make some type of creaking sound out to God, and God will take it as though it's the best singing in the world because you are communicating to Him how intimate you've been with Him, how much you love Him, how much you care for Him. All of us can creak as we contemplate all that He's done for us. Last thing. Intimacy with God also results in this. It results in increased affection. In increased affection. In, in other words, because of kind of all the things we talked about, because you experience... Stuff that makes you appreciative. God does for you and you're appreciative for what He's done. Or you're satisfied because of what God has done for you. Or you adore Him because of what God has done for you. Or you're contemplating, you're reflecting upon, even laying on your bed at night, what God has done for you. Thinking about that, spending intimate time with God, should increase your affection for Him. The intimate time that... I spend with my wife increases my affection for her. The time we spend alone with God ought to increase our affection for Him. It ought to increase it. David said, "My soul clings to You." In other words, God, because I because of all You have done and how I've seen Your power in Your glory in the sanctuary, and God, because I. I I'm thirsty for you and I'm longing for you and I'm I'm passionate for you because of all those things. David said because of how I've experienced you, and how you've satisfied me in the past, David says my soul clings to you. The the word cling means this, to impinge upon, to adhere to, to cling to, to catch by pursuit, you're chasing after. You know, to, to cleave, even to be glued to, to follow closer hard after. It just gives the idea of us being attached to God. Because of all that He's done for us, we, you, you get this increased affection of where it's like, all right, you're, you're glued to Him now. You, you've got to be with Him. See, that happens in our relationships. That's what caused some of you guys to decide not to be a bachelor anymore because you so fell in love with your wife that now you're, you're clinging to her. And all that God has done for us ought to cause increased affection between us and God to where we it's like we're glued to God. We just can't pull away and don't want to pull away. Look at the rest of the imagery you have here. David talks to God and he says, And with your right hand, which in the Bible the right hand speaks of power, the stronger hand, the way it's used in in the Bible, Jesus sets at the right hand of God the Father. He says, "With With your right hand, it's like this intimate picture of someone caressing the person they love, and one person is clinging, and the other person has that powerful hand, maybe behind, you know, the, the neck, caressing his bride, and holding his bride ever so, so close. That's the picture here of David and God. David is saying, I'm clinging to you, and he's saying, God, you, you're, you've just got your hand under my head. Just, just caress me. It upholds me. It sustains me. It keeps me fast. It's holding me close. In Genesis, when God performs the first marriage ceremony, he looks at Adam and he says, you're going to leave your father and your mother and you're going to cleave to your wife. And the word that's used there for cleave is similar to the word we're talking about here for cling. And it gives the idea of you considering that you are glued to your wife. You're leaving your old life behind and there's a new life that you're glued to. That's how our intimacy level ought to be with God. We receive Christ as our Savior. We are married to Him. There's an old life that we leave behind. There's a new life that we're glued to, that we cling to. We ought to love God by having intimacy with Him. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I ask you to search our hearts this morning. Father, if there's someone here that does not know Christ as Savior, help them right now to understand how much you love them, so much that you put your Son on the cross for them. God, you love them so much, you have pursued them. You gave them clear evidence of that love by Jesus shedding his blood and suffering, paying the full price for our sin. So, Father, there's someone here today that doesn't know Christ as Savior. Father, I pray right now that they will respond to your valentine, that they would respond to your invitation to be in a relationship with him through Jesus. Father, I also pray for those of us that know Christ. God, help us to evaluate today the level of intimacy that we've had. Help us to evaluate where we are in the love relationship with you. God, if we've taken you for granted, forgive us. Father, I pray right now in the heart of every believer that's gathered in this place this morning that you would arrest our hearts, that you would so convict us of the need to be intimate with you. That we would fall on our face and would repent our lack of intimacy. Father, that we'd commit fresh today to to be intimate with you, to spend time with you. We thank you that you're our God. Because you are, and because of what you've done for us, give us, God, give us that earnest desire, give us a thirst. Give us just a total, a total longing for you, a desperation for you. And we thank you in advance for all the satisfaction that it will bring into our lives. The increased affection for you, it will bring into our lives. For it's in Christ's name we pray the back of the updates, there's some selections there. Maybe you need to pray over as the band sings. And maybe you need to check some of those off and, and admit to God you need to be closer to Him, more intimate with Him. Maybe you don't know Him at all. That's the first step in a, being in a relationship with Him, and that's to trust in Christ. So today as the band sings, if if you... If you need Jesus in your life and you've never trusted in Him and you know that there's something missing in your life, there's a hole there in your heart, I can tell you what fills it. It's Jesus. Then we invite you to come and we'll take time or have someone else to take time with you and and help you understand what it means to trust in Christ as Savior. But for the rest of us, I, I hope I'm not just assuming too much, but I, I know myself and I know I think our busy culture that we live in and just our human nature. I dare say that none of us today can say that we're as intimate with God as we should be. That we spent as much time with Him as we should. So this morning, maybe God will lead you as a believer, not just to make a decision there, but to even come here to the front and kneel and pray and say, God, Help me to be more intimate with you. Help me to long more for you. Help me to spend time with you. Saban so plays. God speaks to your heart. We invite you to come. You are listening to sermon audio from Day Three Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at And for more information, find us on the web at daythreechurch.com.